I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles, please, and go to 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2. Lord willing, we'll return to Romans 7 uh, in a, probably a couple weeks. Uh, I tend to do in January is take some time to encourage us. We have prayer week, obviously, so want to highlight the importance of prayer in our personal and congregational life, but also as just to remind us of uh, some of the elements of our devotion to Christ that, that we not uh, lose sight of, just as we sang, right? Jesus, I adore, help me to love you more and more. I mean, there's, there's always room for growth for us to love the Lord more and have greater desires for Christ. I would suggest to you that spiritual complacency is, is a killer. If we, uh, if we actually have a kind of self-satisfaction with where we are spiritually, it, it will lead to coldness in our heart because you, you, can't, uh, you really can't jog in place spiritually. Right? You must be pressing on to know the Lord more and to grow in grace. You can't just stop at a certain level and say, this is good enough. Right? It eventually starts to produce coldness in your heart. It begins to cause us to be careless about our spiritual condition because if we think we stand, we're to take heed lest we fall. Right? The, minute, the minute we have a kind of complacency about spiritual things, is, is when we're in great danger. And contentment, we are to have. Right? But that's, that's actually being happy and satisfied with what God has given to us. We're, we're willing to abide in His provision. That's not the same as being complacent. Being complacent is a self-satisfaction that is unaware of real dangers and deficiency in our spiritual lives. Right? It's, contentment is not me going, Lord, so, thanks so much for all that I have. I'm good. Right? That's complacency. It, it's not desiring what we need from God to protect us against the spiritual danger that we're in and to close the gap on the deficiencies that are in our lives that we need to grow. As I said, it's thinking we stand when, in fact, we may be about to fall. It's floating along spiritually rather than being fervent. It's thinking everything is good because we think nothing is really that bad. And that's, the, that's the challenge for us. Well, hey, I'm not doing anything really horrible, so everything is cool. Right? We're, we're satisfied with sort of the lull and, and we justify it because we're not running off in the wrong direction. Right? Well, I, I mean, I could be doing this or I could be like that. And so we justify the lukewarmness that Jesus detests, we know from Revelation chapter 3. It's being satisfied with a form of godliness while not enjoying the power of it in our lives. Just an external conformity to things. And our text for this morning actually uh, puts complacency right at the center of the bullseye to shoot at it. Because our text is built around one primary command, 
and everything else is helping us understand something about it. And that command is the words long for, long for something. Look, if you would, at 1 Peter chapter 2. I'd like to read verses 1 through 3. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. The word that Peter uses that's translated long for is a a strong word that communicates an intense craving or longing. It's like what Psalm 42 talks about, uh, being thirsty in a dry and parched land, longing for something to, to drink that would satisfy that thirst. And in this case, it's coupled with the words like newborn babies as a way to illustrate the kind of longing that's there. And not every mention of Christians as babies is actually intended to to focus on immaturity. It does show up that way a couple of times, 1 Corinthians 3, Hebrews chapter 5, but in this case, it's simply an analogy. When a baby is hungry, you usually find out about it. And you find out about it until that baby's hunger is satisfied. That baby is crying out for nourishment, is longing for something to satisfy the need that it has for food. And that's what he says our longing should be like. It should be like a newborn baby. It is to be intense in that regard. So what I'd like to do is look at this passage really under the subject of cultivating a holy thirst. Right? If, if this is what God wants us to have, what is this passage teaching us about this kind of spiritual longing or holy thirst? So let me suggest it in this way. I'm going to walk through a few statements to try and help us think about it in this way. And the first is I'd say this is that if we're going to cultivate a holy thirst, we must actively and aggressively pursue spiritual growth. We must actively and aggressively pursue spiritual growth. You can see spiritual growth right in the middle of the text, right? Verse 2, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. So he's talking about how they can grow spiritually. So they're going to pursue it, I've said, actively and aggressively. Here's the actively. There's two commands. Well, one's a command, one's a modifier, but it carries sort of a command force. Verse 1, put aside all, and then lists a series of things. And then in verse 2, long for. It's a command that they need to respond to. And so here's the point. I'm saying actively, our spiritual growth must be something we pursue actively because God has given us commands about it. And that may seem like an obvious thing, but here's probably one of the ways in which complacency can sneak its way into our lives is we actually start to think, maybe not front lobe, but we actually start to think and operate by this idea, well, you know, spiritual growth is God's business. I mean, if I'm going to grow, God has to do something. And 
And then we just sort of back away from it. We take a half-truth. Clearly, we're not going to grow apart from God's work, but the half-truth is to ignore that God has actually told us things that we are responsible for as a way of seeing that growth happen. Right? It's not fatalistic. It's not just like, okay, I'm, I'm here now, and if God wants me to be there, then, then I, you know, whenever He wants, He'll move me. But that actually, and you know these texts all over the Scriptures, right? I'm supposed to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. That God expects me to respond to the commands that He's given in Scripture. I am to be active in the process. I have a, an element of responsible participation in God's work of spiritual growth in my life. For me to drop out of it and just go, well, you know, I mean, I, I mean this text says I'm supposed to long for something. That's just not me. I mean, I'm just sort of a chill person. I'm not going to be captured by all kinds of fervency about it. I'm, I'm, more of a, you know, I'm more of a cerebral person, or I'm a non-emotional person. I just, you know, hey, I just go about my business. And this text actually gives us commands which call us to respond. We have to be active, and in fact, I use the word aggressively because of the word long for, right? It's, it's not... Uh, Indifference to spiritual growth is sinful. Right? I mean, we need to get that. Right? If we don't care about it, which would be sort of the opposite of long for it, right? Long for it means I care about it, I'm committed to it, I'm cultivating it. If I don't care about it, I'm not committed to it, I'm not cultivating it, then I'm actually disobeying the command of God. I have to be aggressive about this matter. I have to use and embrace and understand the language of Scripture that calls me to be an active participant and an aggressive one. I mean, we, you know, we don't... Uh, we don't use big, heavy words as much as they used to in describing the Christian life, right? You can find whole books written on the mortification of sin. And we're like, mortification? Yeah, it's like putting to death the deeds of the body. That's what Paul calls it in Galatians chapter 3 and Romans chapter 8. That if you're actually serious about growth, you will be putting certain things to death. And that, that's not like a, an indifferent quest, right? It's a fight. It's a battle. It's something which we pursue with aggressiveness. And so Peter would say, if you want to cultivate a spiritual, a holy thirst, then the first thing you have to do is recognize that it's an active and aggressive pursuit. If you're, if you're wanting to just sort of float in the Christian life, you're not doing what the Word of God calls us to. Right? And, and that's, that's something that, um, that we constantly need to remind ourselves because the reality of it is um, 
all of us, I think anyone who's been a believer for a long period of time has had times in their lives where they began to float. Because the inclination of our fallenness is to go to the lowest level. Right? We, we tend to drift if we are not actively pursuing forward motion. Right? And, and so Peter wants them to recognize that. But also, I would suggest to you that we need to pursue spiritual growth God's way. And, and I just want to point this out. We're going to unpack some of this a little bit more. But notice that there's both positive and negative to Peter's instruction here. Let's start with the negative, because that's what he starts with in verse 1. Putting aside, right? Here, so here's what I suggest you. If you want to grow spiritually this year, then, then, then you must not ignore sin while seeking growth. Right? Because here's the first thing he said, you know, long for it, we, we know that, but he says, putting aside certain things. Right? So if you want to grow in Christ this year, you can't ignore sin. Right? And, and again, this might seem obvious, but, uh, and I, I mean, I hope it's not a hobby horse, but it definitely is a repeated target for me, okay? That we have, we have had such a psychologization of our culture and of spiritual things that, that drifts into the way people think so that, so that you can find many models and voices about spiritual growth that actually are trying to call you away from being concerned about your sin and focus on, you know, I'll just use buzzwords, right? Your new identity, right? That, that you, have to, you have to think about yourself differently and not see yourself as a sinner, not see yourself as... as captured by these things and they need to be cut off and put to death you've got to see yourself sort of blossoming into the fullness of all that christ has given to you so that when i talk about things like mortification right putting to death the deeds of the body putting aside all of these things they almost sound like like some foreign language or voice because we, we, have, we have failed to honor both sides of what God has established as the path to spiritual growth. There is a put off, a put aside. There's a removal, a rejection of certain things. And a replacement of those with others. Right? And, and if, you read, if you read the New Testament... It's hard to miss this. I mean, people are working hard to miss it. When you find Paul talking about viceless, like the works of the flesh, followed then by the fruit of the Spirit. Right? Or like here, here's a whole list of things that should not be in the Christian life. Or, or Ephesians 4, put away lying and speak truth. Don't steal, give, 
No corrupt communication. Only the kind that will minister grace. Right? But some people want to come along today and sort of chop that whole half off because it's too negative. You're, you're, you're distorting people's self-perceptions so that they can't see all that they're supposed to be in Christ. And, and clearly, if we're not talking about the positive side of the game, we're also making a major mistake. Don't hear me say, hey, forget all that positive stuff. Hear me say, God said both. Right? Spiritual growth requires full obedience to God's way, which means putting aside certain things and pursuing others. You're not going to grow with half of that. It's supposed to be all of that. We must not ignore sin while seeking growth, and we must look to the Word as the source of spiritual growth. Notice in verse 2, he says, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the Word so that you may grow in respect to salvation. The pure, pure just means unadulterated, uncontaminated. Uh, milk clearly is a staple of nourishment designed by God for babies to grow. And, and, and at some point, uh, the rest of us either continue to drink it or abandon it for better or for worse, but it's intended to supply nourishment. Now, New American Standard has pure milk of the Word. Some of you may have translations that don't have of the Word, and, and uh, it's interesting because New American Standard is generally tries to stick pretty close to the language of the original language, but in this case, they actually are inserting that phrase of the Word. It really just simply is pure spiritual milk. And, and I think they're right on it, given the context. Drop back up into, into verse 22 of chapter 1. Remember, there's no verses or chapters when Peter wrote this letter. Those came in centuries later. So it flows pretty straightforwardly from what we call chapter 1 into chapter 2. Start in verse 22. Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, Fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the word which was preached to you. All right, so everything in the passage immediately before this, which this, this passage is still dealing with, because what's the first word of chapter 2? Therefore, right? So everything I just said to you about the source of your new birth being in the Word of God, it's the seed that caused you to be born again and, and you are alive because of the power of God's Word. Therefore... And he steps right into the commands. All right, so it's the word that gave spiritual life, and it's the word that produces spiritual growth. Now, that is also connected to, and I think the reason, uh, probably the reason why he shifted right from seed sowing to a language of, of tasting and drinking, 
He uses milk. And then look at verse 3. You've tasted the kindness of the Lord. Right? So he actually, he actually is just sort of shifting his metaphors. Uh, the, you have life because the seed of God's Word produced it. But now he shifts to growth, and he's like, okay, your growth was that you tasted the kindness of God, so long for more of it. Right? God has been kind to you in salvation. You had that taste of it. Long for it. Right? Because it's that you might grow in respect to salvation. So God's begun this work in you by the power of His Word. He will continue it by His Word. Make it your thirst. Right? Make it the thing you long for because it's the thing that provides nourishment. It's the pure spiritual milk that you need to grow in it. So, we need to pursue it actively, aggressively. We need to pursue spiritual growth God's way, which means we have to deal at times with negative ramifications of sin. We can't ignore them. But we also have to look to the true source of our growth, which is the milk of God's Word. My growth is going to come from God through the means that He has provided for it in the Word. That's what will cause me to grow. All right, now look again at verse 1 because here's, I'd like to maybe bore, that's probably not a good word for a preacher to use. Dig down a little deeper, okay? Hopefully I won't bore you in doing it. We, if we're going to cultivate a holy thirst, then we also must recognize that the center of the fight is our desires. The center of the fight is our desires. That's why, that's why verse 1 tells us to put aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. You know this, right? James 1 is clear that sin is rooted in evil desires. Right? So these are sins that we're told to put aside, but those sins are the outworking of evil desires. Right? Everyone is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Right? So here's, here's the battle point that Peter's establishing. Your heart could be captured by evil desires that are taking you away from God and His Word. So you need to put those aside. Right? You, need to, you need to deal with those false evil desires. Malice would be a desire to harm others by word or by deed. Right? You, you want to inflict some pain on someone. That's malice. It's a desire to harm through word or deed. Deceit is generally used as a desire to get something through false words or ways. Why, why do people lie to people? Right? They want something. They, they, they have something that they want to give, and they're going to deceive them to get it. That's why some translations have it as guile. Right? The, the, the sort of association of this word is with bait that you use to lure somebody to catch them in it. So, so someone uses deceit 
for their selfish desires to get something. They're going to they're going to falsely speak or act in order to do that. Hypocrisy, the third one there. Hypocrisy is a desire to promote or protect your image. Right? You want people to think about you a certain way that doesn't match reality. Right? You're putting on a mask, so to speak. You're, you're putting on a false front, and you're doing that for them to think something about you. What you want to do is promote an image that gets you something or protects something for you, right? That's the desire there to preserve or promote your image through some kind of false display. Envy is the desire to have or take what someone else has, right? They've got something, and it's not just an abstract that, boy, I'd like to have that too, but it's actually a kind of evil heart toward them because they have it. And you really don't just want something like it, you want what they have. Right? You've got a heart that is actually pursuing that. And that's why this word is used um, a number of times in the New Testament alongside words of division and conflict in the church. Right, Because people are full of envy. It means someone else has gotten some credit that they wanted for themselves and they're angry about it and like to take away from them. Or someone's gotten some position or someone's gotten some relationship and their heart's full of envy. They desire the thing so much that it turns them in, into a combatant, so to speak, with them. Look at the last one is slander. That's a desire to, to damage someone's reputation. And usually that's for one's own advantage, right? I mean, there's, there's some either sinful pleasure in destroying somebody else's reputation or there's something to be gained in it, right? If, if I can get someone to think badly about that person, that gives me an inside track, or if I, can, if I can sort of tear them down, it makes me better, makes me feel better, right? You see where all of these desires are actually flowing from a kind of self-centered, selfish heart that, that war against the growth that God wants us to have which in the context is very closely tied to brotherly love. That's why we went back into chapter, 20, uh, chapter 1, verse 22, right? Look, he says there, Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. And he roots that in the new birth, because the new birth actually produces in us love for God and love for God's children. So if you've been born again by the Word for a sincere love, then be fervent in that love. That's what Peter's saying. And if you're going to grow in that, then you're going to have to come to grips with the fact that there are evil desires in your heart which are at the, in the opposite direction of love for other people. Right? It's, it's the opposite of direction if in your heart you desire harm to happen to them through your words or your actions, or, 
or you want to try and manipulate them so you can get what you want, right? You're going to play the game with your words and actions so you can get what you desire, even if it means you're taking something from them. That's deceit or guile. It's you putting up a, an impression of yourself so other people will think something of you, either to keep what you have, right? You're going to hide where you really are so you don't lose anything or else to gain something. You're being a hypocrite. Right? You're, you're operating with a heart that wants yourself to be exalted in people's eyes. Envy is looking at what other people have with a desire to try and get that for yourself. And slander is actually speaking in that way. All of that is contrary to the kind of love that God is, is working into his people. So it has to be put aside. It has to be put off because those, those desires choke out our holy ones. Right? That's, that's, I think, the reason why Peter sets up his language in this way. Right? I already alluded to it, but the, the command here is long for. The other word, putting aside or put aside, is actually a modifier of this. It's actually saying something about how we do that. Right? So in some sense, it's not two parallel commands. It's one central command with something serving it. And I think the reason he says that is because unless I deal with this problem of evil desires, they will choke out the Holy One. Right? If, if I allow these things in verse 1 to grow and fester in my heart, then, then I won't long for the pure spiritual milk. Right? It, will, it will actually fight against it because it dulls our appetite. Right? If your heart is being satisfied with the junk food of sin, you're not going to want the pure spiritual milk. Right? Every, every parent, have you ever said to your kids, don't ruin your appetite? Or... You ever had it said to you, right? Because you, you start nibbling, you start, you know, eating stuff. And, and what this is doing is us nibbling on the sins in this verse make us very unhungry, very unthirsty, right? It's dulling our appetite because of sin, but it also, I think, affects our conscience. I mean, think about when I list these things, you just can feel the ugliness of them, right? I mean, if I said to you, listen, hey, get rid of malice. Why would you want to hurt people with your words and, and your ways? And you, you immediately go, yeah, that's, that's not good. Put off hypocrisy. Don't be a phony. Don't, don't try to promote or protect your image and, and have your lips be one thing and your heart another. And you go, yeah, that's, that's true, that's true. Don't envy, don't slander, don't deceive. Like in the abstract, there's not a regenerate person in this room who would deny the importance of those things. 
But if, if we get real quiet in our hearts and our consciences, we probably don't have the same rejection of them. Because it's possible this last week. You said something to damage the reputation of another person for your own advantage. Right? Might have been just a passing comment at work. Might have been something you said to somebody else that just took a little shot at them. Right? Just, I'm going to knock them off that pedestal a little bit. I'm going to take a little bit of shine off their reputation. Right? You just, boom. Or possibly something came up and you knew if you spoke the truth clearly, without distortion, it was going to cost you something. So you just put a little spin on it. Right? I mean, it's not like you told them a massive lie. You just sort of put a little spin on it so that you didn't have to pay the price. Or possibly you gave somebody an impression about where you are spiritually that is not actually where you are spiritually. Or you saw someone that you ought to love and you ought to rejoice at the prosperity that they have. You ought to be happy for them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And it's just burning you up a little bit. He doesn't deserve it. She doesn't deserve that. I should be getting that. Right? I mean, abstractly, it's all good. But what we can actually find ourselves, because the way sin works, it's deceitful, right? It deadens the conscience, is we can actually start to tolerate these things more and more, and the more our conscience, to use the language of Ephesians 4.19, becomes calloused, right? Or, or the more we start to have our heart hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, the less inclined we are to pick up the Word and read it with any kind of spiritual thirst, right? We still may be, we may still be going through the motions. We've got a you know, we've got a list that we have to check off. I mean, today's January 15th, and I need to read this passage to stay on track. So I pick it up and I read it, but I'm not reading it like it's my nourishment. I'm not reading it like these are the words of life that I need for my soul to be fed with. I'm reading it like it's just a operation of mechanical responsibility and that happens when our conscience starts to become dulled by our toleration of sin right we we start to be comfortable with things that are actually at war with our soul peter will say in chapter two right they wage war against the soul and we just get bled out by toleration of sin so that we're weak spiritually, we're insensitive spiritually, and then when we pick up the Word, it does, it's not the Word's fault, 
It does nothing to us because our heart has been stuffed full of Cheetos and Doritos of the world. Right? We have no thirst. We have no hunger. We have to realize that that's the way it works. And it works that way, I think, congregationally. Peter's concern is not just an individual one. It's a, it's a congregational one that they would have this kind of love for one another. Now, how many times have the congregations of God's people been dis, uh, disrupted and distracted away from spiritual nourishment? Right? The, that, that God's people still know, I mean, they know they need to come, they need to be here, but their heart has, has been turned away from their Father in heaven and His children among whom they gather. Right? Because the, the reality of it, folks, I mean, we've got to be honest, like if, when we're coming into the assembly... And, and our hearts are full of these kinds of uh, othering, sinful responses. Right? It's, gonna, it's going to damage our ability to sing the praises of God, to have our hearts settled in prayer before God. It's going to damage our ability to feed on the Word of God. And churches grow cold and complacent when they tolerate relational sin, right? It's, it's. Uh, I mean, it may ha- it may happen, right? It it may happen that the first step toward a dead church is apostasy theologically. I'm not inclined to think that's actually the way it goes. The first step is the heart being made indifferent to the things of God. Right? To use Jews language, people are not keeping themselves in the love of God. They're not praying in the Spirit. Right? We, we get a cold heart and then we start to shape the church toward our own desires rather than God's. We start to accommodate the truth of God, to satisfy the desires of our heart. And we need to recognize how important it is that these evil desires expressed in verse 1 have to be confronted because they choke out the evil desires. Notice in verse 2 now that that growth, right, the growth that we want, right, is is the kind of growth that the follows from desires expressed in obedience, right? And this ties back to it. So he says, long for the pure milk of the word so that you may grow in respect to it. So what we need to realize is that growth follows from desires that are expressed in obedience. And I tie that back to the activity part of it, right? We, we have to put things off and pursue other things. So So we grow as an outgrowth of desire expressed in obedience. And and that stands against sort of uh, 
I mean, fatalism is probably not the best word to, to do with a determinism in a hard kind of way, right? That, that you're going to go from point A to point B whether you want to or not. And it's going to happen at God's time without regard to anything that you do. Right? Those, those would be mis, misunderstandings of the biblical truth. Right? God actually moves people forward through the desires He implants in their heart and their response to them. I recorded Philippians, but let me quote it again. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's the response of obedience. And right after that, Paul says, For God is at work in you to want and work for His good pleasure. Right, so God gives the desire, the appetite, and the ability so that we might respond in a way that will produce growth. We have to respond. Right? We, we have to acknowledge the gifts and grace of God and cultivate a right heart toward it. Passivity actually... I think, promotes weak desires. If I think, here's the way it's going to happen, right? Apart from my response, apart from my desire, apart from my concern, apart from my obedience, God is going to help me. He's going to make me grow. If, if I think that, I think I'm not only wrong, but I basically have unplugged the cultivation of desire because I've, I've come to the conclusion my desires don't matter. Right? I mean, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Right? I mean, nowhere in the Scriptures can you justify any of that. Right? I mean, we do it in a lot of ways. Well, if, you know, God's chosen people's salvation, so they're going to get saved whether we tell them or not. Well, read Romans 10. Not true. God is going to save them through people who tell them the Gospel. Right? God has end and means. Well, if God's outcomes are going to happen, whether, you know, it's going to happen whether we pray or not. Not true. Read James chapter 4. You do not have because you do not ask. Right? We, we cannot accept those false conclusions from a true premise. Right? God does have a plan. God is accomplishing His plan. God cannot have His plan thwarted. All of those things are true. And God says, pray. God says, work out. God says, tell them. Right? They're not opposed to each other. We like to make them opposed to each other. I think if we're honest, we like to make them opposed to each other so we can dodge one part of the side. <laughs> right? Because it's bigger than my brain can handle. I want to throw one of them out so I can feel more comfortable. I, wanna, I want to accept a place where it's like all out of my control, there's nothing I can do about it, so que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. And that's not the Scriptures. That's not, that's not God's plan for your growth. Right? And if you put it on autopilot somewhere back there, thinking, you know, this growth thing, I can't figure it out, I'm, I'm not... 
like I thought I'd be farther along by now, or this is hard. I'm just going to sort of chill. And then create a theology that justifies it. Okay, can I, can I challenge you? Right? In a loving, tender, spiritual way, can you feel my head slap you on the side of the head? My hand slap you on the side of the head? And say, wake up. Wake up because you didn't get that from God? Right? That is not God's will for you? He didn't just load you into a spiritual inner tube and put you on the river and go, see you at the end somewhere. Just float away. There are all these commands and responsibilities in the Scripture that call us to humbly bow the knee before God and say, I need to get after this. I need to get after it. There's things in my life that God wants me to get rid of, and there's things not in my life that God wants me to see cultivated and incorporated. I need to respond to the work of God. So, so here's the thing. is it, It's desire, but to some degree, also dedication or discipline to crash through those quitting points. Right? I mean, maybe you're not like this. Maybe you've never felt like just, just taking a break. Right? Maybe you've not ever felt like, man, I, I've prayed and I've prayed about this. I just, I need a break. Or I, you know, I read and I read, but boy, it seems like sometimes it's just, it's just, it's just not there. Right? You know, you know what you're supposed to do at that point? Is crash through that quitting point. Because what that's actually going to show to you is whether you long for it or not. Right? Because if, if our desires are so weak that whenever we face discouragement or difficulty in the pursuit of spiritual growth, we quit. What it's showing to us is what needs to happen in our lives. Lord, I need deeper, stronger desires for you. I need deeper, stronger desires for your word. I need deeper, stronger desires. And what's happened is I've, I've come up to some resistance and it stopped me. And here's what I say. I'm going to use this word carefully. And it scares me a little bit that it stopped me. I need to crash through this, Lord. I need to press on because I know that you have kindness for me. I've tasted that kindness and I'm longing for it. So help me to break through this. Help me not to quit. Help me not to be satisfied so shallowly. Help me not to be complacent about the things that matter most. I need to do that because sometimes it's quitting, sometimes it's competitors. We, don't, we actually haven't even recognized that our appetite has, is gone because we're spending all of our 
attention on other things. Right? And, and, I, and I, you know, it's easy to make us all feel guilty. And there's a part of it I do want us to come to a godly sorrow so we change, right? I'm not intending to just like open up the wounds and dig them into us. But, but here's the thing. You, can only, you have to ask questions like this, right? So if I, can, if I can find time to spend on social media but not find time to read the Word and pray, Something's wrong, right? If if I can be up to if I can be up to date with all of and hopefully you're not because probably half of these to three quarters of them a Christian shouldn't be watching, but I can be up up to date with all the latest shows. I can I can know right where they are in every series and I'm I've got them all taken care of, but I don't have time to read the Word and pray. Something's wrong, right? I know exactly where all of my favorite sports teams are, exactly how everything's going, and I don't have time to pray, to be in the Word. Something's wrong, right? I mean, something's wrong. That means I want something else more than I want the nourishment that comes through the Word. And, and if that's the case, it ought to be an eye-opener for me. Right? I, I ought to hear myself saying, boy, I wish, I wish I had time to read the Word and pray. I wonder what's on channel 385. Right? I mean, you you ought to hear yourself saying, I don't have time for that as you go off to the other thing because your own conscience should be, the alarms should be going off. If they're not, If they're not, why not? Why wouldn't our conscience be triggered like that? So we need to stir up holy desires. Verse 1 says we do that partly by putting away sinful ones, right? Let's, Let's remove it like a garment. That's the language of it. Take it off like it's filthy rags. You ever been covered in 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 clothes that are soaked with sweat or filthy, right? At some point, you want to get them off. The problem is sometimes if you're just enmeshed in it, you don't realize how dirty it is until you step into the light, right? But you you got to take it off. If you really want to cultivate holy desires, it means you've got to put to death and remove the sinful ones. Remember God's kindness in verse 3. Boy, you've If you know Christ here this morning, it's because God opened your eyes to His kindness in Jesus Christ. That you you saw that you're a sinner under the judgment of God and you saw in the face of Jesus Christ the answer to that. You mean He 
loves me. He died in my place. He offers me forgiveness and welcome into the family of God. He promises me everything that I need for life and godliness. He has offered to me himself. That's absolute utter kindness. And if you've been saved, it's because you saw the kindness of God that has appeared in Christ. And you put your trust in him that he would keep his promise. He would give you eternal life. If you've tasted that, a part of the reason you came to Christ was because you wanted more. You called out to the Lord, that that is exactly what I need. Right? There's an old song, I found him whom my soul longs for. That's, that's That's the answer. So somewhere along the way, you and I start to forget that. And a part of cultivating the holy desires is we, we remember the kindness of God. We, we remember what it's like to have our heart full of joy when we open up the Word. We remember what it's like to, to know a sense of God's presence when we pray and see Him answer. We, we remember the kindnesses of God and we say, Lord, this stuff doesn't satisfy. Please pour out your mercy. Make yourself known to me freshly. Make your grace evident and real in my life. Lord, please do that. That's the longing. Right? And it's motivated by remembering God's kindness. But notice also in the text, it says that you'll grow in respect to salvation. And I think the goal here is that, that you grow toward your salvation, right? Because Peter's already talked about in chapter 1, verse 5, he says, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Peter said, hey, God's got you, and he's got you for a salvation that's going to be revealed. And here Peter's saying, so long for the milk that will cause you to grow toward that salvation. Right? He says in chapter 1, verse 13, that we have our eyes fixed on the grace that's to be revealed to us. All of those sins in verse 1 wrap themselves around this life in this world. They pull, us, they pull us away from what God's promised to us to try and find something to satisfy us right now. And Peter's saying, hey, God's got something much better for you. And you can taste some of it now. You can, you can benefit from it now. You can drink of the milk that provides nourishment for it now. Long for that. Long for that drive those other desires away by a more powerful, deeper longing for the thing that will really feed your soul. These will always leave you thirsty. They'll always leave you unsatisfied. There's one fountain from which flows the water of life. There's one who can satisfy us. Long for him through 
the word that he's given to us. Let's pray together. Father, please help us to be honest before you. Um, if, If we're in a state spiritually of sluggishness, of complacency, would you please break up the ground of our heart? May your word penetrate the soil and bring forth fruit today. If perhaps we've been getting weary and well-doing, would you cause your word to be wind in the sails of people who may feel like they're in the doldrums spiritually? Would you, would you blow a fresh wind into their spiritual growth? Lord, may we not depreciate the value of this wonderful gift of your word. May we rest on it, hunger and thirst for you through the word. And may you open the eyes of anyone who's come into this place who's who's standing before you is of a sinner condemned that they might see in Jesus the answer that he is the demonstration of your love by dying in the place of sinners and offering life to all who will trust in him. Draw them to yourself, we pray, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.